1: Good morning. <coughs> I really enjoy being able to do this, uh, but it this is this is very challenging for me personally. I don't know how many of you guys have got the opportunity to do this, but it really makes you examine some things. <coughs> when we think back about the series that Franklin and Don have been been preaching on right now, the streams in the desert. And there's one thing keeps coming back and it was haunting me and basically it was we've all got things in our past that sometimes it's hard to get past and I don't think that leaves out a single one of us and it reminds me the the passage in Romans 7 is probably the most confusing passage in the Bible to me when uh, Paul writes these words And I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my sinful nature. I want to do what's right, but I can't. I want to do what's good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. Those things that are in our past stick in our memories, don't they? And it's hard to get past it. Brings us to what I want to talk about today, in the words in Hebrews. <clears throat> we know that in the in the Old Testament, the way that God dealt with sin was with the sacrifice. If a sin was committed, it had to be paid for with blood. So once a year, the high priest would go and make the sacrifices for the people, okay? listen to what it says in Hebrews 9 and 9. This is an illustration pointing to the present time for the gifts and sacrifices that the priests offer are not able to cleanse the consciences of the people who bring them. Okay, he acknowledged that the sacrifice was for the sins, but it didn't do anything for the people's conscience. They knew it was still there now we are under a time where the blood of Jesus was sacrificed for us listen to what he says just five verses later in verse 14 just think how much more the blood of Christ will purify our consciences from sinful deeds so that we can worship the living God For by the power of the eternal spirit, Christ offered himself to God as a perfect sacrifice for our sins. The sins were taken away. And it says right here, he cleanses our conscience. This is why we praise God. Not only did he do away with our sins for eternity, But He gives you a clean conscience. You can come to the Lord and worship Him and praise Him as a true child because of the sacrifice that we're fixing to commemorate. When you take the blood, the cup, when you take the bread, you're remembering that Jesus was not only a man, but He was holy God. And He took away our sins and cleansed our conscience forever. Let us praise Him. Heavenly Father, we're so thankful for Your love. The fact that You gave Your Son and that He lived a perfect life to be the perfect sacrifice, to not only cleanse our sins from Your sight, but to cleanse our conscience before You. Help us to remember this. Draw us closer to You. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
0: I pray uh, quite a bit Um, when I run as I start my day at meals, uh, I I tend to try to have like an ongoing uh, conversation with the Lord. And I don't really say that to uh, puff myself up or anything, but it's just something... That has been kind of brewing under the surface for me to think about. You see, I'm super thankful. There's nothing wrong with that. I'm super thankful for my blessings, for the things that the Lord has has brought me through, uh, for my friends, my family, uh, just for the things that I have in my life. I'm super grateful. But that's all my prayers seem to be limited to daily. Um, I'm not doing that on purpose, but I see myself gravitating Towards that. I, I tend to live my life on a, a broken soundtrack. And and again, I'm not doing this on purpose, and and it's just something that's become uh, something that's been brought to my mind. And my broken soundtrack is this: God doesn't need to be bothered by stuff I can handle. And then I've morphed it into something else that goes like this. God doesn't need to be bothered by stuff I should be able to handle. I I should be able to run without an inhaler. I should be able to deal with the situation and not completely have a breakdown. I should be okay with technology. I, I should be able to forgive people easily. These are things that I should be able to do on a daily basis. And so sometimes I just pull myself up by my bootstraps And I go. Again, I'm not saying that it's okay. And I'm not saying that I do it on purpose. But I found that I've started this. I lost my water bottle in April, which is really sad because I got my water bottle in April. I got it as a gift from dear friends on Easter. And, man, I loved that Water bottle. And about two weeks, in it was gone. I couldn't find it anywhere. I searched high and low for the thing. Now, to be fair, I lost my sunglasses the other day. I found them hanging on a T-shirt. I was wearing the T-shirt, so uh, I, I'm a kind of forgetful. But I feel like I pretty much scoured everything. About a week ago, about a week ago, I. Um, and walking back from the church, had been working on this sermon. Been a little convicted of the ways that I wasn't asking God for things in the big and the small. And so I said, God, I understand that, you know, it's not life shattering if I don't have my water bottle. I know that it's not going to save the world. But man, I, I really love that water bottle. I really do. And so I remembered uh, just a, a time when I had it with me, and so I texted a guy. Don and I did a gig at his place. He has a barbecue place It's really good. His first name is Coach, and so that's about as far as I'm going there. So I, I text him, and I'm like, hey, I know it's a long shot. I know it's June, the end of June. I lost my water bottle. It's white. I can't find it. Text back immediately. We've got it. Exclamation mark. And this is it. Now, I say it. I say God delights in the details of our lives, and I, and I believe it. I believe that God wants, to ask, wants us to ask for things both big and small. And so I have a new, renewed soundtrack that I've developed, and it's this one right here. Thankful and expectant. Being thankful is good. You should be thankful for the things that God has given you, for the gifts that he has bestowed upon you, for the, for the friendships, the relationships that you have. But you should also be expectant because Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And God is still in the business of doing miracles both in the big and the small, not just the life-altering ways, but in the daily grind of life. So let's just start today with a tough question. Let's go there. And it's this, how many times do I need to see God's work before I understand that He is always for me? How many times do I need that reminder in my life? How many times do I need to see the work of the Lord, his hand, in in supernatural ways, both big and small, before I understand that God is for me in every way imaginable? Welcome online, on the radio, you in the room. It's such a pleasure to be able to share with you this weekend, Don and his family and and Jen and and quite a few of Central Folk are up there on the mountain at El Porvenir and they're enjoying family time up there. So continue to pray for them as they travel home. And so I really love uh, this quote from last week. Uh, Don said this, don't judge someone's story by the chapter you walked in on. So important, right? There's a lot of things that go into somebody's story. There's a lot of things just under the surface that you don't see that makes up the person before you. And and before you make snap judgments, before you come to quick realizations, it's important to know that someone has a much larger story than the part that you walked in on. So we're going to talk about a story of the Israelites And we're going to see what they did in response to God's intervention today. We're going to be in Exodus chapter 17, verses 1 through 7. And we're going to talk about water from the rock. Again, that's Exodus 17, 1 through 7. If you will turn with me this morning. And the people grumbled against Moses and said, Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? So Moses cried to the Lord, What shall I do with this people? They are almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said to Moses, Pass on before the people, taking with you some of the elders of Israel, and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile and go, Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and the water shall come out of it, and the people will drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. And he called the name of the place Massah and Meribah because of the quarreling of the people of Israel and because they tested the Lord by saying, Is the Lord among us or not? so let 's get some backstory as we begin uh, this morning. The Israelites had just crossed the Red Sea. God had delivered them from Egypt. their backs were against the sea. they saw the armies bearing down on them and, and the Lord says this to Moses, "Lift up your staff and outstretch your hand. He does that, and the Red Sea parts. This is mind blowing amazing, and the Israelites walk. Through it. Then a time of worship, the song of Moses, the Israelites join their voices with his as they worship the Lord. No sooner do they leave Egypt in miraculous fashion, do they lapse back into an old pattern. Do you ever find yourself lapsing back into an old pattern? They praise him for his mighty works, and then Exodus 15:22 hits. And that says, no water for three days. And the people grumbled against Moses. We'll hear that more than once today. Do we secretly believe that nothing is more important than our perceived needs? I mean, I know there's a line, but I want to be in the front of it. I'll get there one way or the other. I know I'm supposed to be considerate of others, but I have my way of doing things. I need to take care of my family. I need to provide for them. I need to make sure that they're cared for. I'm sorry. I know we're supposed to love others, but I don't really have the time for that. I've got to focus on what's mine. Do we secretly believe that? Do we secretly have that running in the back of our heads whether we know it or not? Despite this... Idea. The Lord will provide. Jehovah Jireh. Jireh means see. And when you put Jireh with Jehovah, when you put those two words together, it essentially means the Lord who sees. The Lord who sees to it. The Lord will provide. That's how we get there. That's how we see that translation. Jehovah Jireh. And so 1522 hits, they're, they're without water for three days. The people grumble against Moses. So uh, the Lord tells Moses uh, to throw a log into the water. He does so, and he turns the water from bitter to sweet so it's drinkable. And the people grumbled against Moses. They said, you brought us out here to die of hunger and the Lord provides. He says, manna and quell will come down for you every single day. So they, they gather enough for tomorrow. I mean, that's what you're supposed to do. We've got to be prepared. We don't have to ask God for everything if we can just collect it. Thing is, it goes bad. It spoils the next day. And God teaches them a valuable lesson that he will provide their daily bread. And they camp at Rephidim and they quarrel with Moses. They quarrel now. This is escalating, right? Things are heated. The mob is impatient. If you've ever been to Black Friday, you know exactly what I'm talking about. I went once and people were punching people and throwing towels in the air. It was crazy. They say, why did you bring us out here? To kill us with thirst. Not to die out here. Kill us means intentionality. You brought us out here for the purpose of destroying us. At least when we were enslaved, we had food, we had water, we had a place to sleep, we were enslaved. They forget that part, right? They forget the part that God has delivered them from slavery, from Egypt into the wilderness, headed for the promised land. And they ask the question, is the Lord among us or not? How could they ask a question like that? The Red Sea parts, water turning from bitter to sweet, manna and quail provided for them. Is the Lord among us or not? How could they ask such a question? How could we go something like this? Are you even listening? I prayed to you several times about this specific thing. And I, and I really thought you would have intervened by now. I'm sure you're working behind the scenes. I mean, that's what you say. But I don't see anything in front of me. So... I've got to ask a question because right now I'm feeling pretty alone. You've brought me out here in the desert for whatever reason, and I'm pretty sure I'm going to die. So here's the thing Are you with me or not? And all around us is the ever present temptation to see ourselves as the center of the universe. I do this, right? I think that everybody's bad day is my fault. Do you do this, right? Like every interaction I have, I leave second-guessing everything that I just said to them. Did I say something wrong? Did I say something right? They seem a little upset today. Maybe I didn't do something I was supposed to do. I see myself as the center of the universe. Or maybe, just maybe, I need this and I need it right now. I need water. I need food. I need Pringles. I need something and I need it immediately. Please. Please. There's this present temptation that is around us. And, and the people are about to riot. And the, des- the desert can absolutely do that to you. And they're determined to get what they need by any means necessary. And, and, and really, it, it turns out that we're just like them. They've forgotten God's faithfulness again. They've forgotten all the times that he has come through, all the times that he has been faithful. It says the Lord will provide. It doesn't say the Lord did provide. This is an action that continues to occur. But here's the hope because amidst the Israelite self centeredness, amidst ours, Amidst the the Israelites' selfishness, amidst ours. Amidst the, the Israelites' pride, amidst ours. God is in their desert. And he's in yours too. We think if we're out in the wilderness, we think if we're in a trial or a struggle, that we're all alone out there. If we're out in the desert, it's just us, we're isolated. But here's the thing that we all too often forget: The desert is also his country, and his people are as safe there as anywhere else. And this doesn't mean that everything's going to turn out the way you want it to. I mean because the world, right? I mean, this is the world we live in. We live in a fallen world. But the idea is this. When you go out into the wilderness, when you're stuck in the desert, God is there with you. Did you hear the scripture from today? Zephaniah 3 17. The Lord your God is in your midst. He is mighty to save. He sings songs over you. Over you. Over you, Kathleen. Over you, Zoe. Over you, Quentin, over you, Wade. He sings songs over you. And the Lord says to Moses, Behold, I will stand before you there at the rock of Horeb, in the vicinity of Mount Sinai. Now some commentaries say Mount Sinai and Horeb, same thing. Can you imagine that? Isn't that incredible to you? This is where the Ten Commandments took place. This is the Shekinah glory of the Lord and in Moses' presence. This is the covenant with God and His people. This is where this happens. And God tells Moses, strike the rock." And water flowed from the rock. I'd like for you to come with me for a quick hike down a rabbit trail. Okay? Are you guys good with that? If you're not, I'm going to do it anyway because I don't got anywhere else to go. So we're probably going to go in between those rocks and down into that crater. Don't worry. If we just stay down there, it's a lot easier going down than it is coming back up. Okay? So here... We go. How many people are we talking that day? Let's just go ahead and break out those numbers. This is kind of somewhere that I went this week. Now there's two differing views. There's a large Israel view. This is literally, okay? This is from the census and numbers. This is where they're collecting all these different numbers that are read. They're saying mostly men is what they're counting. They're not counting women or children. The number there is about 2 million people. People, Two million people, this is large Israel. There's another view, small Israel. Small Israel says that there is a Hebrew word in there that has been translated improperly. They say when you translate it in a different way, you get a much smaller number. It's more figurative than literal. And when you do it this way, it actually coincides more with Scripture. Because typically when Israel was going against somebody, they were the much smaller nation. So we've got 2 million or 30,000. Does it really matter? No. Because they got water from rock. But let's put that in ways that we can understand. So two million people. Let's go with Dallas, Texas, for obvious reasons, right? Go Cowboys. That's Don's team. This is their year. So in Dallas, in 2019, 1.3 million people live in Dallas. Let's just go ahead and say two Dallases. Two Dallases wandering around in the wilderness. That's a lot of people, Right? Thirty thousand. So in the same 2019 census, Clovis, New Mexico had 38,000 people. That's close enough for me. I'm not going to go ahead and, and split hairs. So a Clovis walking around in the wilderness. So we've got either Clovis or we've got either Dallas. Again, does it matter? No. They got water from a rock. That's an incredible story, Franklin. But is God really in the business of miracles? Does he really listen to our prayers? Does he really want to hear from us? Does he really follow through? I mean, maybe it was just a coincidence that you found this water bottle after after three months. Maybe all these different things can be explained away. I mean, when I pray, does anything really happen? We read uh, one of my favorite books this summer, The Screwtape Letters by C.S. Lewis. I think I've read it three or four times. And so this book by C.S. Lewis is satire. It's fiction. I can't say that enough. It is fiction. This is not truth. This is not somebody went to hell and this is how everything turned out. This is fiction. This is a story. But it's got something very important for us to hear today. So it goes something like this. Tape, which is what the letters are named for, holds an administrative post in the bureaucracy of hell. Again, this is fiction. And is mentoring Wormwood, who is a nephew. And Wormwood is an ex- inexperienced and incompetent tempter. He's horrible at his job. And so Wormwood has a patient. That's what they call people that he's supposed to kind of stick with. And so you've got 31 letters that comprise this short book written from a demon's point of view. How can we keep the patient from eternity's grasp? How can we keep them from heaven? How can we keep them from the enemy? Now remember, enemy for a demon is God, is our heavenly father. It's incredibly enlightening. This is the guy that wrote the Chronicles of Narnia. And so we read and we found this quote, and and Akkadon's a teenager, which means he doesn't take any notes. But he took this note, and this stuck out to him, and I'm going to blow it up a little bit so you can read it, and I can too. And this is about prayer, and this is about whether or not we should believe that God is actually at work in our midst. But since your patient has contracted the terrible habit of obedience, he will probably continue such crude prayers, whatever you do. But you can worry him with the haunting suspicion that the practice is absurd and can have no objective result. Don't forget to use the heads I win, tails you lose argument. If the thing he prays for doesn't happen, then that is one more proof that petitionary prayers don't work. If it does happen, he will, of course, be able to see some of the physical causes which led up to it. And therefore, it would have happened anyway. And thus, a granted prayer becomes just as good a proof as a denied one that prayers are ineffective. I would never thought of it that way before. Yet my mind goes to this. What, what a miracle here in the Bible. There's got to be some logical reason for this phenomenon so as i was studying i came across one you know sedimentary rock is actually known to feature uh, pockets where water can collect just below the surface so if you see a little bit of seepage a little bit of leaking one can see where the pockets exist and by breaking through the surface maybe with a staff they can release the collected water But here's the problem with this theory. My grasp of the situation defined reality for me. I don't see how God can come through, so maybe he can't. I don't see how I'm able to extend grace, so maybe he can't. I don't see how he can intervene or fix this in any way, so maybe he can't. Have we ever said these things before our grasp of the situation defines our reality when in fact we're trying to put god in a box and he is not to be put in a box because he is more than we can ever dream or hope or completely understand on this earth he is all-powerful Has this happened to you? You don't have to raise your hand. I mean, I will, because it's happened to me before, right? Heads I win, tails you lose. If it doesn't happen, then, yeah, I gave it a try. Prayer doesn't work. But then if it does, it would have happened anyway. What a conundrum we put ourselves in. Here's the problem with the theory that I found. We're dealing with a quantity of water that that explanation cannot afford. I almost said it can't hold water, but I didn't. I stopped that. So the hike's so much fun. Let's go one more time. Okay. How much water? I'm going to have to do some math on the fly. So we'll see how this goes. I thought these were eight ounces. Turns out the 12 ounces. It's a tiny type in my defense. I have to use my readers, and I didn't see it. Twelve ounces of water. Most people came in with one of these. You grabbed one of these. Let's say that this is enough to quench somebody's thirst in the desert. This is a conservative estimate, but we're going to go with it, okay? Let's also go with small Israel, 30,000, right? So 30,000 times 12 is 360,000 fluid ounces, right? If at any point my math is wrong... please. Remember that I'm a music guy, and I only have to count to four. Okay? So we've got 360,000 fluid ounces. That works out to about 28 12.5 gallons. 2,812.5 2,812.5 gallons. I see Laurel doing the math right there. And so we're going to go ahead and round that up to 3,000 gallons. is something that I can work with, and it makes a powerful example for my sermon today. So as we continue, we're talking 3,000 gallons of water from a rock. Sounds like a lot, doesn't it? How much? Let's see. So I googled 3,000 gallons of water, and I just wanted to see what would come up. And you know what's funny? A standard fire truck holds 500 gallons of water completely full. Did you know that? I didn't know that. So we're talking, and this is a conservative estimate, not one fire truck or two or three or four. Or five. We're talking six fire trucks of water from a rock. Don't tell me that our God is not in the business of doing miracles, that He is not mighty to save. That in spite of us, he still loves us and is for us in every way imaginable. The Lord will provide Jehovah Jireh. And I have to believe you still bring water from a rock. I've got to believe that I can lift up whatever prayer I have and that there is a God up there that is willing to not only listen but intervene in ways that I can't even see or imagine. That when I reach out to heaven and I say, please, I'm at the end of my rope. I don't know what to do now. I don't know how this situation comes to a head. I'm not sure where to go next. I don't know what's going to happen in the DR. I can't find my water bottle. the big and the small the life altering things and the daily grind of life friends he still brings water from the rock tough questions today I'm wearing a tie so there's a test in your life is God sovereign or is it all coincidental Have you ever said God doesn't need to be bothered by stuff I can handle There's one more passage I'd like to go to 1 Corinthians 10:4 and as we get there, Paul is talking to the Corinthians. He's writing a letter. Um, the Corinthians have latched on to spiritual gifts, but here's what they've done. They've ranked them in order of importance to them. And so they've said, if you've got this spiritual gift, then you're up here. And if you've got any other one, well, then you're not. Right. And so they're competing. They're putting the gifts up on a pedestal, soul, and they're beginning to idolize them. And so Paul explains the entire letter about all All these things and where our true focus should be. In fact, that's where uh, the love chapter comes from. Love is patient. Love is kind. He says, if you have the gifts, if you have these amazing things, and you do it without love, you're a clanging gong. And that is annoying. So... He stops in 1 Corinthians 10, 4, and he says something very interesting. He says, And all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. And Jesus Christ alone is our true need this does not mean literally that a rock would be following them through the wilderness this means that jesus christ was plan a the entire time the living water water that will fully satisfy and you will never thirst again and when we rest in jesus when we work from that strength from that that living water inside of us we see it overflow all around us to those we love I love books that challenge me. I love when the Holy Spirit speaks through a a Bible reading plan on anxiety or or a prayer and fasting. I I love when he speaks to me through a new song, Jireh. And I love when we are thirsty, when we're empty, when we don't feel like raising a hallelujah. We are reminded that the Lord is is in our midst as the team comes up as we finish up this morning. Maybe you're hurting today. Maybe you need prayer. And if that's the case, then you've come to the right place because there are people that want to pray with you today. If you'll just come up to the front, somebody will jump in beside you and they will lift you up in prayer, whatever you need. And maybe you're in the desert. Maybe you're in the wilderness. And maybe you're asking the question even today, is the Lord among us or not? I don't see him working. Screw tape has a word of warning for wormwood and a fire truck, five of them, full of hope for us today. And he says this Do not be deceived, wormwood. Our cause is never more in danger than when a human, no longer desiring but still intending to do our enemy's will. Remember, enemy here is our Heavenly Father, God. Looks round upon a universe from which every trace of him seems to have vanished and asks why he has been forsaken and still obeys. Still puts one foot in front of the other. Still continues to pray. Still continues to lean in. Still continues to reach out and ask for help. To offer help. Thankful and expectant is what our hearts should be today. Thankful for the things that we have. Expectant for the things to come. Jehovah Jireh. The the Lord will provide and he is in our midst. The desert is also his country. And he is not far from you today. Thank you for listening to audio from Central Christian Church in Petales, New Mexico. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. To connect with us, visit our website at centralwired.org.